You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. This is episode 68, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. And with me today are two of my regular panelists, my two most regular panelists, freelance writer Julian Murdoch. It's all the fiber. (laughs) (laughs) And freelance writer Rob Zachney. Hey, everyone. Uh, With us today, we have two guests. to talk about this week's topic. This week's topic is uh, the marketing and promotion of strategy games. We are one week before E3, and as I look through my mag- magazine archives and E3 past, E3s are full of strategy games, full of, in fact, hex-based war games, which is kind of scary, and uh, the marketing environment has changed for strategy games. So I've invited uh, two people who work in that area, who have promoted strategy games that we all love and enjoy, uh, and two people who are always good for a quote or a hand when I need it. So when I reached out, I knew they'd say yes. Uh, we have from uh, Triple Point PR, Joe Zemer. Hello. Thank you for having me. Very glad you could make it. And from Tinsley PR, uh, Stephanie Shop. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so let's begin with you, Stephanie. Why don't you tell us what you're working on uh, that our listeners can look forward to or some of your resume so they know where you're coming from? Sure thing. In the strategy realm, uh, I think a lot of the listeners are going to know uh, my client, Stardock Corporation, uh, who is about to launch Elemental War of Magic uh, in August of 2010, uh, which is a turn-based fantasy strategy game. Uh, Stardock has also... Um, been the publisher of Ironclad Games' first title, uh, Sins of a Solar Empire, which uh, I think a lot of uh, your listeners will be familiar with. And I, I worked on both of those campaigns and, and uh, am really looking forward to, uh, to this summer to see how, how our plans work out with Elemental. And Joe, uh, your portfolio? Yeah, the majority of my uh, my strategy experience with Paradox Interactive, uh, most notably Hearts of Iron, Three Majesty Two, upcoming I've got Lionheart, King's Crusade, Victoria Two, and Commander Conquest of the Americas. The last three are scheduled to come out in 2010, um, typically about Q3. Um, they'll all be at E3, so I'm sure you guys will be hopefully talking about them more later. Um, I'm very excited to have people hands on. Great. Um- so I'm going to start with the question, just throw it open to the panel and to you two uh, especially. Um, you're promoting strategy games in a video game environment, uh, especially PC strategy games in a video game environment that is first very console-oriented and very action-oriented. When you, call, when you go to GameSpot and say, hey, do you want to have some assets for Victoria or for Elemental? Um, what in general is the response, and how does that compare to other what you hear from your colleagues or from non-strategy games you've tried to promote? This, this, it's like I said, it's an excellent question. Um, I just recently came off the first in-depth tour for Elemental, and specifically for GameSpot, we're lucky to have uh, a writer there who um, not only is a strategy fan, but he's a turn-based strategy fan, so understands the the genre. He understands the history and the evolution of the genre. Um, and, you know, when you introduce a game like Elemental that takes a lot of different elements from great strategy games of the past and adds some RPG elements to it, um, a writer that's very familiar with the genre is going to be excited to see it. It's gonna be, he's going to be excited to play it. Um, 
whether or not that means for me or for for the game that that's going to translate into a front page feature on GameSpot, um, you know, we've got heavy competition. We we know that we're the the niche of the video game industry, and um, and that you know if, if you're competing with a, a Call of Duty preview or a Rock Band preview, it's it's going to be tough to get the, that same level of attention from from a GameSpot or or a one of the large sites like that. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. It really comes down to, to knowing who you're pitching to, what their interests are, and then also having that in line with your expectations on the type of coverage and really getting your messaging down to a point where you're being realistic with the property you're representing, that you're not over-promising on what to expect. Um, she brought GameSpot, and I completely agree. Andrew Park is great in that sense. Strategy fan. Um, and he's the right person. I'm not going to take a, a hardcore strategy title to a general PC editor and expect a great reception. Right. And, it's, you know, going off of that, I mean, knowing your messaging, you, you really have to be authentic um, when you're dealing with a, a, a hardcore strategy game like A Sins of a Solar Empire or like an Elemental. Um, you, you, you have to know your base. You, if you're making a game like that, you, are, you as a developer are clearly a fan of the genre. Um, so you already you have a good sense of who your audience is, and you can't, as a PR person, hype um, strategy like you can hype action or like you can hype a music-based game. So it's it's literally just a matter of being straightforward about your game and 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 knowing your audience. Rob, Julian, so, <clears throat> so how how I mean. That that issue of knowing your audience. I mean, we we let's be realistic, right? We all know that the the PC strategy game is is a narrow genre. It's one that a lot of people are worried has been in a state of decline for quite some time. So so how do you go about quote unquote knowing your audience? I mean, that sounds like a perfect platitude, right? Of course, if you're <laughs> going to market something, you need to know your audience. But in this day and age, where you're dealing with something like Sins of a Solar Empire, which I'm going to guess probably sold more copies digital than it sold in boxes, how do you actually get to know your audience? How do you get to have any idea who the heck these people are anymore? Um, I mean, as far as dealing with the press, it's, it really comes down to building relationships, reading the sites regularly, seeing who's writing about what, where interest lies, even expanding outside of just the gaming audience, finding very specific interest. If it's Hearts of Iron, I'm also looking maybe for people who don't write specifically about games, who write more about the military. Exactly, right. It's I mean, and again, once strategy. I mean, a strategy game like Sins of a Solar Empire. You know, I can't I can't comment on which which sold in retail and which sold digitally. But um, with a game like that, it's it's really more about communicating to your core base as far as you know, out of eight or rock paper shotgun PC gamer, uh, Andrew Park at Gamespot. These core guys who you know know the property. Um, you know they they know the, the the product and expanding from there you you can't you know something like sins of the solar empire it's it, it was definitely a huge hit uh, elemental is is a is a much different game than that it's fantasy turn based um, whereas I believe the you know the RTS uh, subgenre of strategy is sort of the the more popular um, of the the different strategy types that you can have but when you're when you're reaching out to to these audiences, it's it's you really just have to convey the facts of the game, 
previews and gameplay footage are going to go a hell of a lot further than than a trailer per se that won't show folks what they what they need to see. They, it can set the mood for it, but it's not going to necessarily um, you know convey what it's going to be like when you're playing the game, like like a like a music based game or or an action game. Well, you mentioned uh, using gameplay video, which is interesting, and you mentioned trailers as well. I just wrote a story about opening cinematics and the like, and I started thinking about teaser trailers, and there's a lot of teaser trailers for games that are out there, and mm-hmm. for, for strategy games, they generally suck, because you can't <laughs> do a teaser trailer for Civilization and yeah. tell me anything well, about Civilization. Well, they, of course they, they have them, but, but they, they but have them. Oh sure, but but they're, but they're they're useless. I mean, let's not pretend that this is tells you anything about the game. Um, right. You know, That's watching exactly what samurai well, fighting but, on but, walls. So but we've <laughs> seen we've seen examples that go a lot deeper than that. I mean, and and you know, when Blizzard was making the initial announcements about StarCraft II, they released gameplay footage in in yep. chunks of fifteen minutes. Right. Well, they were just, releasing whole well, games. Right. Well, that's what I want to get onto. The whole I mean, trailers are one thing, gameplay footage is another thing. But I mean, gameplay footage of a turn-based game is not compelling television. No, but if you're, or- go ahead. Go ahead. If you're already a fan of the genre, then you're going to be interested, right? I mean, gameplay footage of the changes to the hunter class and WoW isn't compelling footage unless you actually give a crap about playing a hunter and WoW, right? <laughs> Have you sat through gameplay footage of a turn-based strategy game? I have. I have, actually. You're a sick, I, sick well, man. Well, that's, that's interesting that you bring that up, because we just released um, probably, I think, two chunks of you know 12 or 13-minute um, pieces of footage that, that did exactly that. Um, no one had actually, outside of the beta, no one had seen the gameplay for Elemental um, before this week. But... Um, what it does do is it, it gives the, the strategy fan the opportunity to see the game in action, to kind of see how the UI is being used, what the UI is looking like, how right. customizable things are going to be. And I think that that goes a long way with strategy fans. I agree. I think it does. I mean, I think the more challenging thing for me is when you're dealing with the press where uh, you know, it, you know, a traditional a, a traditional launch. I mean, let's take something like the the launch of something like Halo Reach, where um, you know the way that you expose the press to this is by bringing them into a contained environment, uh, setting up a bunch of machines that are massively overpowered and perfectly tuned to run the game, and you sit there and you make them play against each other, and you expose them. Uh, and I don't mean this in any nefarious way. I would do this, too, if I was a PR person. You expose them to the parts of the game that you think you're going to show the best, uh, and then you send them along their merry way. The problem I see with strategy games, and, and the reason I, I think it's very challenging for you guys to get to folks like us, is a lot of times you don't get the sense of a strategy game for hours. I mean, it, it, you know, a, a big, meaty strategy game, even, I mean, take something like Sins of the Solar Empire or, say, any game Paradox has ever released, right? Things right. you're very familiar <laughs> with. These are not games that you sit down with with a giant thing of jolt and play for 45 minutes and say, right, got it, moving on, right? You don't. That's just not how they work. You sit down and you're playing, Sins of, you know, the expansion for Sins of a Solar Empire. If you haven't put six hours in, you actually don't understand what the game is doing. Joe? I mean, that's yeah, how, I, how do you how do you how do you overcome that, or do or do you not? And that's just the cross you have to bear. You know, I think well, there's two. Oh, 
Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Ahead, I think Joe. there's there's two different things on the trailers. Uh, Paradox, in one sense, will do full unedited gameplay trailers at times, and then they will also do more of the the cinematic quick cuts, uh, show some cut scenes to kind of build it up a little bit in a more of a traditional gaming sense to try to broaden their audience a little bit. And I think that's worked very well for them, um, especially this past year. They've been around for ten years, a little bit more than ten years actually, and this is their best year ever sales-wise. So as a, as a publisher in the genre, I think that speaks pretty well that's about very, them. That's very encouraging. And I know, in, I mean, in terms I, of revenue and units. Right, um, and I know that since of a solar empire, certainly in terms of a, a in terms of a sort of revenue versus dollar investor perspective, I mean, they, you guys have been fairly upfront that this was a huge success for you guys and a bit of an right. unexpected huge success, right? So, so right. that's all very encouraging as somebody who's been sitting here doing plenty of teeth gnashing and fingernail biting about the death of the strategy game, right? So right, I'm very I mean, encouraged by I, that. I keep hearing over and over again about the death of strategy games, but <laughs> then I, I look at this you, summer you and you know, I, look, I look at the, the second half of 2010 and I see Civ Five and Elemental War of Magic uh, on the horizon. I mean, these are two going to be you know monster, monster strategy games. A big problem with that is that with the NPD sales reports, none of the digital distribution outlets report. Right. Right. So there's really no accurate indicator of what the actual sales are in the space. Right, but it's very. It's, it's, I think it's subjective. I mean, if you have a Sins of a Solar Empire that costs, you know, a uh, million dollars to make, or you know, a little less than that, and it sells, um, you know, a, a million copies, that's a success, even in a cross-platform uh, arena. But if you have you know, like um, Brad released numbers, Brad Wardell, the CEO of Stardock, he released numbers at the last GDC or two GDCs ago about uh, what the galactic civilization uh, cost per ROI was. And it, and it, and it was a much smaller, uh, you know, the game didn't sell as, as much as Sins of the Solar Empire, but considering how much it cost to make, it was a resounding success. So, I mean, what are you basing success metrics on at that point? Are we comparing it to the industry overall on console-based games, or are we looking at ROI? I think, I mean, for me, the difference is strategy games aren't aren't part of the gaming conversation, uh, generally online. I mean, to look at death of strategy games, we talked earlier about finding the audience. Uh, Strategy gamers pretty much have to go to strategy-focused forums to talk about them. They have to go to Wargamer. They have to go to Armchair General. Uh... There are very few general interest forums where they have a lot of talk about strategy games, as opposed they to other to genres. Listen to godforsaken podcasts like ours. Right? Yeah, just listen to us. I mean, uh, you know, we're kind of we're kind of freakish, and we actually, you know, will talk in depth about your guys' games. Um, so I guess that's where I think I see the perception is, whether it's accurate or not. Uh, I mean, business is one thing, uh, but you know, there's a whole gaming culture out there. I think. Can, can I ask? Can I can I ask a, a sort of more general question, which is is you know, the strategy games, I, you know, as Troy is sort of saying, is kind of the deep end of the pool for a lot of gamers, right? Uh, and to what extent do you feel like your job in the PR realm or in the more broad sense, the marketing realm, is getting new gamers to pay attention to strategy games, right? I mean, in, in the case of Paradox in particular, I mean, you guys are not known for building 
uh, you know, uh, sort of Nintendo DS nine-year-old friendly games, right? That's not your niche, right? <laughs> so, so to, to what extent when you're looking at a new title, like you sitting in your chair, looking at your job, you get the, the proposal or whatever it is you get from the publisher for the new game and you're looking at it, to what extent is going through in the back of your head, how am I going to get somebody new to pay attention to this as opposed to, well, who are the usual suspects? In situations like that, it really comes down to studying each individual game. I mentioned earlier looking at like very specific audiences um, that are not necessarily the gaming audience to try to bring people in to become a Paradox fan. I brought up the, the Hearts of Iron looking for historians who would be interested. Um, things along that nature to bring in potential new fans to them. And also, in that sense, Paradox is also very good about being a, a real brand, I guess, is, is the best way to say it, and that the sense that they're very honest, they're very forthcoming, they're all on the same page. As far as their social media, they're very upfront. The CEO runs, the, runs their Twitter account, um, so they interact with their community on a daily basis. So they're really, they really push forward on expanding their own audience as well. Right, right. I mean, and that, and that, that sort of community involvement definitely shows. I mean, we certainly saw that. We've, we've seen that in spades out of Stardock on when things are going well and when things are going badly, right? I mean, you know, Brad Wardell is sort of famous for both being out there dumping his chest about how awesome something <laughs> is and also being the first one to show up for the firing line when the crap's hitting the fan with Demigod, right? I mean, he's been, he's taken both sides of that heat. To, to his well, I sure, I sure don't know what kind of crap hitting the fan about demigod you're talking about. Oh gosh, what could note, I possibly note be the heavy me? sarcasm? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, you're. I mean, you're absolutely right, and I think that that goes back to if you're building these these types of games as a developer, um, you you're coming from a place of authenticity. You're a fan of the genre, and you know the genre. You you know you don't build strategy games because. Um, you know, it's it's the next big thing. Um, you know, like a like music based games for perfect perfect example. But um, it it definitely um, as far as you know, Brad being out there on the front lines. I mean, he he knows he knows the he knows his he knows his core audience. Stardock's got a, a, a great loyal following, and um, you have to just be straight up with them. You have to just say you know, and that has to come through in your marketing. I can't go out to the press and say, um, you know, over, you know, overhyping the, the next big strategy, you know, game to, to hit the genre. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. They don't get excited and pumped about strategy the way that, that they do about other games, uh, like first-person shooters or, or action-based games. So, um, you know, going off of what Joe says, you, you, it's great to have that direct connection with your, your core audience, and I think that you know, you, you brought up the point of how do you, you know what? How important is it to to expand your your reach and cast a wider net to get new people interested? As a PR person, um, to me, that's extremely important because it's any adage in business is you know, or any this is this adage is applicable in, in any business. It's grow or or die. So I'm I'm constantly thinking of ways to. You know, push the the game into a, a new realm. Whether it's you know uh, reaching um, reaching people through a strategic marketing outreach plan for the elemental book that's coming out with the game. If if there's fantasy fiction uh, folks that are out there about to pick up Elemental Destiny's Embers, I want them to to check out the game. You know, it's, it's 
it's always in the back of my mind, and, and most of the time a, a large part of what I'm thinking about on a daily basis. Okay, and it's also... <clears throat> I was going to say, it's also challenging in a sense as well with new audiences to kind of manage that as well because we'll often get requests. You know, I, I might want to check out this game. Would you mind sending me a copy? And if it's a typical non-strategy reporter, you really got to to be upfront with them and, and say that, you know, this game is not going to – you're not going to like it unless you spend hours upon hours with it. You can't sit in front of it for an hour and fairly judge this game. Right. And that's and that's both a challenge and you know and an opportunity because you could in essence convert convert a new reporter who may have a, an entirely new stream of of uh, listeners or readers uh, to strategy um, and it's 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 not an easy task I mean it's it's literally a one by one case by case basis it, it's not it's not like you can say hey we've got a fighting game everyone come play it fight. Yeah. You punch the other guy, and that's the, and that's the, you know, that's the premise of the game. You punch the other guy, and you get to the next guy, and you punch that guy. It doesn't work that way. Okay, but I guess I'm, I'm curious as to like, you know, you're talking about like reaching new audiences and such, and I guess I'm curious. Um, I mean, where are where are your new audience members coming from? Um, because you know, as you talk about Stardock, you talk about Paradox. Um, you know, I think. You've done a great job of turning maybe players of Galsiv into uh, players of Stardock games, and a great job of turning people who enjoyed EU, you know, the Europe, European Universalis series into people who play a lot of games that come out under the Paradox label. But I guess, I mean, you know, what what sort of outreach beyond um, you know the confines of strategy games um, has paid off for you beyond like hoping the rock paper shotgun guys play and like your demo copy. Um, what you know? What, what's been what's been successful in sort of breaking through the uh, strategy strategy versus mainstream divide? Um, for for me, uh, as as the PR person, sort of on the front lines trying to reach these people for for Stardock, I have to say uh, that two things come to mind that have been an enormous help uh, in reaching new audiences, and that is uh, social social networks, um, Twitter more so than Facebook. For me, as a as a public as a public relations professional, and uh, Stardock's impulse, their digital distribution platform. Um, whenever we have a reporter, whenever we get wind that someone's doing an article on digital distribution, or if somebody contacts me, it's a great way to reach out to that reporter to start a conversation about strategy games, uh, strategy games as an industry, strategy games as as a genre. Uh, and whether or not that that reporter uh, covering uh, digital distribution as either a consumer technology article or maybe they're just a freelance writer in the games industry in general, that's a great way for for me to add that you know that one more person to the email list and say, you know, Impulse is is Stardock's platform. We we do X Y and Z. By the way. You know, have you checked out these games, these types of games? And then it's a conversation that goes from there. Um, on the social networking end, um, PR people are constantly chatting uh, with reporters of all different kinds on on the Twitter. So um, that's just something that organically creates more interest in what it is that you're talking about. I did completely agree with the social networks, and Paradox has also had 
luck with uh, with guerrilla marketing, whether that is an actual presence at events or just hiring a street team um, at events like the PAX and Gen Con, uh, medieval festivals for Mountain Blade. What, what, do you, what do you mean by hiring a street team? Either in costume or just in normal, like a Paradox t-shirt, and then kind of handing out information about okay, the game. Okay. That's like a postcard, um, and we kind of educate them on the game so they know about it, where they can get it, that sort of thing. So you're not talking right. like booth babe? Uh, no, no booth babe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry to step on you there, Troy. But no, um, I guess I'm curious, I mean, do we strategy gamers make your job a little harder? I mean, I'm just thinking back to the way we frame this question, you know, like the, the, the strategy game genre is dying, and even strategy gamers seem to love to talk about this. God knows we do. <laughs> um, but, you know, boy, this is a really moribund, moribund genre we all love, huh? Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, if does it does it does it affect your job that there is this you know almost perverse pride in being in this small niche? Um, and the other thing is that because so many of your titles are sold via digital distribution, um, you know your successes people don't know that they're successes. You know, I mean, other releases that you know get into the brick and mortar and have success there, um, you know, they get the NPD reports to sort of give them some momentum. Yeah, but exactly. For for your games, it's like they're released, and you can you know if you're doing well, you can't really tell people how well you're doing. And I guess I'm just you know curious about. Well, let's how be those clear. They could. Are. They just don't. Right. right. Well, There's that's... no reason the paradox couldn't tell us every single item they ever sold. But it's just it's for whatever reason it's competitive information the industry chooses not to share. So, will you tell us? <laughs> I mean, they... Yeah, right. Last year in interviews, Fred did come out and say, like, you know, their percentage growth year over year, 2009 versus 2008. That right. type and, of information they will get into. And and I know you, everyone on this call, I'm pretty sure you guys have seen the Stardock annual report that Brad puts out uh, once a year. Sure. Um, sure. That talks about, you know, percentages and things like that. Now, there there is some information that... You know, we won't share, but um, but as as a company, I think that that Stardock is, is extremely open in its in its direct communication to uh, the people who actually buy the game. And well, sure, uh, compared sure. to say EA, yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah absolutely. But I, I mean, I think you have to be. I mean, I think that again, it's it's a small enough industry to where you know, or, or a genre that that there's 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 more benefit to doing to doing it that way than than not. Right. I mean, I guess that's part of my frustration is that people, you know, there is this there's this sense in in games and particularly in the age of the Internet that and, and I'll, I'll admit to this myself. I want to apply this to just everybody else. I'll admit to this myself. I want to apply this to everybody in the universe. But I think I'm fairly representative that we all want to be riding the cool bus. We don't want to be stuck in the uncool <laughs> bus. Right. So, I, you know, the reason that I go out and buy Red Dead Redemption is because all my friends say it's a cool game. And I think that I should be exposed to it. And to some extent, by keeping things secret, by keeping things close to the vest, by not trumpeting your successes more visibly i think the industry does face the problem and this isn't unique to strategy games but i think strategy games suffer from it more than others partially because i think a lot of strategy games are now sold without a box and therefore they just simply don't get reported but but you know part of what was unique about sins of a solar empire was that the pr for that was a little messy and so you had blair 
out there just sort of talking and saying, oh, my God, we can't believe how much this game is sold. And you know what? That's <laughs> that that engenders excitement, right? That kind of sloppy PR actually makes people say, sins of a solar what? Right. Well, and it they, became the narrative. Right. Right. That became part of the narrative was these two brothers in a garage like made a game and oh my god everybody's playing it right and See, and now what you call sloppy pr <laughs> i call a successful campaign that was the plan the entire time <laughs> there was there was no plan in place for and i don't think across the board any pr person has a plan in place for you know past the okay the sold a million units let's put out the same press release that you know, is constantly put out. Sure, sure. Um, but sure. but the difference but, there was that that I could call Blair because I. Um, no, but in all in all honesty, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not sure what happened to the, the audio right there. But um, when you know when when the game became the hit that that it became, and we saw how successful it was. I mean, no, there's no secret PR box that you go to and open up and say, okay, take out the hit PR plan. <laughs> you know, I mean, it it doesn't work that way. So. Of course, I mean, you had ten guys, you know, nine guys, one girl in a, in a, in a garage in Vancouver making a game that turned out to be IGN's PC game of the year. There's no plan for that, and, and, and of course we want to trumpet that and celebrate it. Um, you know, a, a tr- it, was, it was a very fun campaign to do past launch. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's way more fun than if, say, the opposite had happened, which was yeah. they all went and got jobs at the gas station. Sure. Right? <laughs> but but my point is that I feel like the secrecy of the industry, and this isn't pointed at you, this is pointed at everybody. And if anything, I think strategy games are a little more prone to being loose with the PR um, than, say, OEA. Um, that, that there's There's a way in which the honesty... Is in itself effect, infectious, right? And and, right. and you know I, I, that that just always strikes me as this bizarre challenge that PR people have, where you know there's this natural desire to control the message. I get that, right? I mean, I'm a writer too, right? We're all controlling our message to some degree, right? Every time right. I write a sentence, I'm controlling the message. Um, but by the same token. You're not the you're ones not making the-, the game. You're the gateway to the people making the game. And to some extent, you have to let go for it to feel honest. And it's always interesting to see how different games, different companies, different PR campaigns treat that. And you can sort of tell the difference. Right. You know, it's true. I, Joe? I, there, there was, there was a, a, a good part of us, you know, after the game launched and started to take off that said, you know, holy crap! People want to talk to the, uh, you know, the the Fraser brothers, and and it was exciting, and and that was all. It was all. Uh, it was very honest. It was not. I mean, you can't you can't contrive that kind. You know, kind of enthusiasm. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I kind of had a similar experience with Mountain Blade. I mean, that's that's more definitely RPG, but it was mostly this husband and wife team just developing this game for years with a community. That was help contributing, and, and we knew it was a good game, but the reception was fantastic, and it worked out better than we could have ever imagined. 
Well, and that's a game where you had sort of a strange little bubble effect, right? I mean, that game simmered for my my sense as an outside person was that game simmered forever, right? It wasn't nobody had ever heard of it. It just sort of simmered along in like open public beta releases forever and ever. And then all of a sudden you couldn't get people like Ken Levine to shut up about it, right? It just yeah. sort of crossed this, this, this PR peak. And I mean, was that entirely sort of, random chance or do you personally take credit for engendering that hype you know I mean, well, <laughs> take credit for it joe I, i'll take as much credit as i can get but it was it was better than we could have expected i mean you reached out to people and they had already contributed money to the beta and time right. helping develop for it there was already this great to, community in place you know, that oh go ahead no i'm sorry i'm sorry to step on you there but joe it's like you recognize that that is happening, and you have to take that ball and run with it from there to, to try to trumpet the message even more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw it before the release that it was just kept building and building and building. We finally had this, and it was it was great. And then it translated to Warband as well, um, the sequel that people were just so excited and to be a part of it because people felt like they had been a part of this game because they had contributed to the actual development of it. Well, let's let's turn that around then, because uh, I mean, you know, these are stories where community really gets behind a game. But uh, at least in my experience, strategy gamers are persnickety. Um, is <laughs> oh, we're just we're just use. goddamn ornery bastards. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> well, right, but I mean, so I mean, persnickety and ornery bastards, and we have therefore once again cemented ourselves as old man radio. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> Um, no, so I guess I, I, I'm curious, um, I mean, how does it make your, how does it make your, your lives difficult when so much of your audience, you, you know, a lot of your biggest fans, your best evangelists are also the sort of people who can turn around if some, if you change something with a game that they don't like, um, or if you just let them down in one case, I mean, how do you go from, um, you know, maximizing the the positive vibes of a dedicated community to running damage control on um, a community they, that's they, furious. They demigod. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just oh. to pick a random game out of a hat. Yeah, just, just, let's just um, you know, just hypothetically, let's say that I've experienced something like that. Um, with demigod, it it honestly came down to the perfect storm of you know, the worst things that could happen at a launch. And at that point, you've got your community who's expecting nothing short of greatness. Um, and what you have to do, and, and what we did, is we just leveled with them. And we and, and Brad, you know, like you guys mentioned before, Brad Wardell is extremely good at that. He's, he's, very, he's the first one to say, okay, this is what's going on. He's very vocal on his blogs. He's very, he's very active on uh, social networks. And, you know, all we could do was all we could do. And it was, from a PR perspective, just a matter of saying, look, you know, the core gameplay is there. It's great. Bear with us. We swear we're working on this as fast as humanly possible. Um, uh, you know, some, some reviewers from a press standpoint, uh, that, was, that was good enough for them, of, um, others. Not so much, and you you take that and you learn from it, and you you move forward and you apply it to the next game. It just it's one more thing that goes into into the toolbox. Joe, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with her in that sense. You kind of just have to explain your decision-making process at times, that if there's a decision that the community does not embrace, um, I think we're both fortunate that we work with companies that will come out and say, this is the decision, this is why we made it, but we're certainly listening to you. Right. I mean, I have been in situations before where the company turns into a turtle and they just retreat into the shell and there's no communication flowing and uh, you have fans in an uproar and that's not a good situation to be in because not only are the fans but then you have members of the press who think, you know, wow, I, maybe I can't work with her like I thought I could just because I, I simply can't, I can't give them information I'm not getting. So what is the biggest challenge uh, that you face? You're both experienced. You're both very good at what you do. Uh, but clearly there are problems out there, either with the media or with the community or with the people you work for. What is the hardest thing about promoting a strategy game in today's media environment where there's just so much noise? You said that you know social networking makes it easier, and also you know you have to fight through all this other stuff. I mean, I get so many Twitter messages a day. So what's the hardest part? Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest challenge is really getting out of just the gaming press. If you really want to try to get some more consumer mainstream type coverage, that is the biggest challenge in itself. I think if we're talking about a specific facet of our job. And that's, and that's a huge challenge more so. I mean, that's a challenge in the video game industry across the board, whether yeah. or not you're right. yeah, absolutely. Rock Band or Halo but when you're a when you're a PC strategy game, um, you know I can see the Paradox games having having a little bit of an easier go than say a Sins of a Solar Empire or an Elemental from a PR standpoint because you have that um, realism as far as military and and that entire niche. I mean that's a that's a niche of of mainstream uh, magazines in itself and, and websites and whatnot. Um, with Elemental, of course, there's there's sci-fi and and that sort of fantasy-based audience. But as far as the you know the Rolling Stones of the world or the Maxims, I mean you know my money's my money's on they're probably not going to feature this particular game um, because I've I've worked on big multi-platform console games and it's a challenge to get those uh, a quarter of a page in a Maxim magazine, um, let alone you know. A much smaller niche title like like a, a fantasy strategy game. So how does how do we in the press make your job hard? Well, you make everything so easy, Troy. That's why we love <laughs> yeah. you. That's yeah. why when you call and say, "Hey, you want to be on our podcast?" We jump. <laughs> or hey, no fly me to some random country and ply me with fine <laughs> wines and great food. <laughs> Okay, so well, I mean, how, no how does Tom how does Tom Chick make your job difficult? How's that? <laughs> well, I think I mean part of part of what makes what makes it difficult to go after certain editors is just an unfamiliarity with the genre. There are larger sites and and magazines out there that though they cover PC games and they say they cover PC games. They really don't. When when they think PC games, they think The Sims, or they think, um, you know, Bombville. Uh, yeah, or, or World of Warcraft. You yeah. know, that's that's the extent of their coverage, and they don't really have anyone that knows 
the genre. They don't have anyone that that grew up with this particular um, game as, as yeah. you know part of part but, of their repertoire. That will spend twenty hours to before they even start to develop an opinion. Right, and and a large part of that, I mean, if you that's why it's so important if you get someone that is interested even a little bit, get them in the beta. You know, if your beta like like if your beta is close to complete, like we're about to launch the the, the new beta and, and start getting press in the beta for Elemental, um, get them in there. They're going to need a lot of time and 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 really be able to to have time to not only play the game but to ask questions about the game and the gameplay. Um, you're just going to end up getting get if you if you just blindly send out copies to you know the game's radars of the world or whatnot it you don't and you don't know who you're sending it to you're just you're asking for trouble well i guess i'm one thing i'm curious about is you know i mean how how did the how do the developers that you know you deal with how do they make your life harder because i imagine <laughs> i mean <laughs> there there have to be so many times when you think my job would be a lot easier if you simply went this direction with this game just a little bit um and I mean, you have to you have to play the hand you're dealt. I guess I'm curious, like, what what do you think with the games that you have to help market? Um, you know, what what do you think are the biggest barriers to making those making people take interest in those? What, what makes your what makes your job harder with these games? I think sometimes with developers, you'll also get the sense that they also think that they want to control the message, as does the publisher, and then we also do as the uh, the PR representative representatives um, and they'll I've worked with people who have occasionally just released their own assets and developed their own trailers and just posted them <laughs> and then they'll tell the publisher the next day or a series or they'll just open the bait up and not tell us um, so that that obviously makes it a little challenging at times um, other challenging times is occasionally it shows like upcoming E3 I'll have four development teams most reporters will have 15 minutes with it, which is a pretty tough time to kind of demo a strategy title. There's 15 minutes. I got to take them to the next time. Sometimes you go over and they're still on the menu screen, 13 minutes into their presentation, <laughs> <laughs> and they're just telling you about their development. To be fair, studio. paradox menu screens can be pretty interesting and complicated. <laughs> yeah. All those little, little tool tips everywhere and strategic background. You know, I can play how many countries? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So that's two challenges I have. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with Joe on most of those. Um, I think uh, I've been fortunate with with uh, working with, with the, the developers on on uh, with Stardock as a publisher, uh, GPG and um, Ironclad, in that they're they're very accessible. Uh, so that's a positive. But um, again, these are these are a bit smaller operations, and one of the issues is just asset flow in general. Um, and this, well, this it's, it's a double-edged sword because I need more assets, but at the same time, it's a stra- it's a turn-based strategy game, or it's, you know, it's a an RTS, and the assets aren't necessarily compelling television, like you said. I mean, you can't release 13 minutes of footage once a week because that's not. You know, gamers are just going to sit there and click through it and go, yeah, 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 I've seen it. So it's, you know, showcasing the different aspects of, of the game is, is always a key component of, of any PR plan, but um, oftentimes getting those particular assets that you, that you need is, is harder than not. But one of the points that you brought up was, you know, it would be nicer if the game went in this direction. As a PR person, I'm never 
um, in a position to have that kind of input on the dev team, nor do I think I would want to. Uh, no, but you're a I'm, human being. When somebody presents a game and says, look, this is about Nazis and hookers, you can obviously have the reaction to say, do you think maybe the Allies would be a better opponent? I mean, yeah, you're a human being, right? You care about the subject matter. Uh, well, absolutely, and that's and that's why, as a as a PR professional, I have the choice on whether or not I want to work on that game. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay. Well, hang on. I, I was but more thinking like you like to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess where I was coming from, I was I guess I was more thinking uh, from Joe's point of view. Um, you know, when, when you get when you get like a new European or Vassalis game or something, I mean, there has to be a moment where you're looking at you like you know, son of a bitch, it's it's just a map again. God damn it! Um, why can't why can't it look a little more less forbidding? Uh, why why does the why do these games have to look so scary to new people? You know, do you, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. yes, and I and I think that that I've had conversations like that. Um, especially where Sins of the Solar Empire was concerned, I, I came on, I actually shared that PR campaign with Tom Oley from Evolve, uh, who I know all of you know and love dearly. Um, he kind of took the first half and I took the second half. And when I first came on to the, the campaign and, and opened up the first screenshots of the UI, I literally was just, holy shit, what is all this stuff? I, and I said, you know, hey, how does this, and, you know, and how does this work? Tell I don't even know how to start talking about this. And uh, it took it took a couple tutorials to where I said, okay, now I can explain it better. But I really wasn't in a position to say, you guys launch in you know two months. Can we just go ahead and change these things? It wasn't. I mean, that's just really you just you got to take what with you got to take what you have and, and kind of make the best of it. I think there are times when you're working hand-in-hand with the developer, when maybe they'll think that there's a few key features that that really make this game unique, and then the publisher will have their own viewpoint, and then you'll also have your own viewpoint. So where if a developer comes, oh, I think that, you know, this feature is great, and you're like, ah, it's, you know, it's okay. Um, But a lot of games have that. So how about we work with this? Do you you ever find yourself... um, I don't know, like pushing and pulling between you and the developer where they really think that this is the right angle to take with this game. This is what to focus on. And it, that's just that's just not the way to go. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly discussions like that at times. That's, that's yeah. pretty common. Um, so both of you will be at E3? Absolutely. Yes. I, uh, I will be at E3. I will not. Uh, Stardock is not going to be at E3. They don't do, uh, they don't do E3. So you will have to uh, pre-order to get into the beta for Elemental, uh, or just uh, look for okay. the awesome previews and reviews on FlashOfSteel.com. There we go. There we go. And Joe, you will be there with the Paradox team. I will be with Paradox, and uh, I would also encourage everyone in the Victoria 2 pre-orders open up. If, if the game makes money, the CEO is shaving his head. <laughs> so yeah, that see, should be extra yeah, incentive. I'm not sure that strikes me as a, as a big challenge because that's sort of like, you know, th- th- is that a vote of confidence or not? I'm not sure. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that is a great PR tactic for headlines for the game, but at the same time, gosh, I don't know if that makes me want to run out and buy the game. Yeah, this, uh, <laughs> but it is a sequel to Victoria. Yeah, and and Fred, honestly, like Fred. Yeah, exactly. It's a sequel to it's a sequel to Victoria, which is why he thought, you know, I'll shave my head if this makes money." Yeah, Fred, <laughs> Fred was looking front. He did not want to greenlight the project. The uh, the community okay. just begged and begged, and the development team 
begged and said, you know, we can do this. It'll be great. And he finally gave in. And then in an interview when they were talking about it, he said, you know what? If it makes money, I'll shave my head. And now, <laughs> yeah. And now everyone. That's honesty, right? <laughs> yeah. So that might be see. a game that never comes out. The <laughs> <laughs> so uh, CEO is going to keep delaying the game. So it'll be Paradox with Duke Nukem. Yes. Oh, don't go put that curse on anyone. Take it back. Uh, three <laughs> moves ahead. see those sales numbers. <laughs> three, three moves ahead will also uh, be at E3. Uh, next week we'll be doing multiple shows. Try to do one every day from Monday to Thursday. I will be there with my... Uh, long-lost partner, Tom Chick. He'll be there representing Fidget.com, and we'll try to record a few shows. I will be there with Jen Cutter from Open Alpha TV and Hack 5. Uh, rocks, by the way. Jen Cutter rocks. And maybe some other people who we to drop by uh, will be welcome as well. Um, so catch that next week uh, through the week of E3. Joe and Stephanie, thank you very much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. Julian, Rob, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night.